This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. October was a very busy month. PSPS, fire, and a shooting. Um, I was kind of looking around saying, is, is, this, is this really happening? <laughs> is this all happening at the same time? Boy, but at least my EOC was open to deal with it. Welcome to EM Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVos speaking, your emergency manager podcast. You know, one of the things that, you know, we've talked about in the past a couple times regarding uh, the public safety power shutdowns uh, in, in California, specifically Northern California, and specifically how it was supposed to prevent uh, wildfires and things like this. I'm not sure we're seeing the, um, the fruits of that labor, but anyway... It's kind of where we're at. We're talking about those public safety shutdowns, wildfires in California, and it seems to be coming up more and more. And in some aspects of it, with the public safety power shutdown, it's causing more issues than solving. And, you know, so I've been talking to some of my friends uh, and colleagues up in Northern California about this for a while, and I was excited when uh, Neil Bregman uh, decided that he's coming down to Southern California for a little bit. And so I was able to uh, get Neil into the studio. So Neil, welcome to EM Weekly. Thank you for having me. So as an introduction, we're talking about the public safety power shutdowns and of course how that didn't really stop the Kincaid fire from, from occurring. It, it, it does not appear that that is the case. Right. I believe PG&E has... Um, issued an event report saying something might have happened with a piece of their equipment and at the same time Kincaid happened. Right. That's kind of the way they put it. They're, they're not going to fess up to it just yet. Right. But there was an event that time-wise happened at the same time. It was funny. I was at the airport coming back from the CISA conference in San Francisco and uh, somebody at the at the restaurant was talking about the fires and they go, oh, it must have been started by the power company. And I kind of chuckled and I go, well... They're not admitting to it, and they looked at me. And they said, "Will they ever?" You know, I'm like, "That's a that's always a good a good question." So, let's talk about just the public safety power shutdown and a little bit of the history. So, realistically, San Diego Gas Electric started it um, about ten years ago, I guess, right? About a decade, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they've been playing with it for a little bit, and we don't really hear a lot about it until PG&E, the California's largest. Uh, electric uh, provider or utility, I suppose, um, started doing it. And let's walk through that. Like, so when did they decide they're going to start doing it? And what was the impact specifically with you guys in Northern California? So they first started talking about it uh, in 2018, but they really didn't put forward a plan that this was going to be as wide ranging and, and kind of a detailed plan as they had until after the fire in paradise. Um, and then my understanding is they went to the CPUC, that's the California Public Utilities Commission, their regulator, and put forth a plan saying we are going to shut off power to prevent wildfires when the following conditions are met. High winds, red flag, low humidity, and, and measuring of fuel. Um, and so we started trying to talk to them and, and kind of 
understand that uh, probably eight months ago, almost almost a year ago at this point, and um, understand not only the program, but, but the level of impact. And we could never really get them to tell us how impactful it would be, how many customers, how far into urban areas it would come. And so September 23rd of this year was the first time they did it under their new program. And we really didn't, we didn't know what to expect. We had talked about myself in Sonoma County and, and Napa about um, a variety of potential impacts you see anytime there's a blackout, for, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, cell phone towers start to go down after their batteries go out. Uh, that means people can't necessarily call 911, uh, voice over right. IP and internet go down. Uh, people who rely on electricity for durable medical equipment, especially oxygen compressors, feeding tubes, things like that uh, may have problems. Um, we went through a whole host of, of potential things and, and we didn't know which would happen, how quickly, and, and so it really was a, a wait and see, which is a very nervous position for an emergency manager to be in. Right, and I know that we take a look sometimes uh, trying to do the critical um, buildings like hospitals and whatnot that mm -hmm. should not lose power, but we forget about some of the smaller um, independent um, housing um, companies that have uh, people that are on respirators and things like this, and they, they didn't really get on that list. So I, I knew that was one of the issues that was brought up, at least in the LA Times, uh, talked about that. Yeah. So so P, part of PG&E's plan was they said they would call everyone on what they call their medical baseline list, and then if they couldn't get in touch with them by phone and, and with a live operator, they would then have a staff person from their staff go and knock on their door. The, the, which I think is a, is a good first step. The problem is that the medical baseline list is what? It's not made for contacting people in a PSPS. The list is based around giving people who need electricity for any kind of medical equipment, CPAP to the highest level of, of life-saving or life-necessity equipment, giving them a good electrical rate, and that's what it's built around. And, and you have to you take a form to the doctor and go fill it out and qualify. And there's a lot of steps involved. Right. So there's, a, there's a lot of barriers to people who aren't, you know, necessarily type A on their game going and getting on the list. And so the list is not comprehensive in, in a way that you would want all the people in your community who are vulnerable, who have access and functional needs, or just vulnerable populations to know that the power is going to be out and that they have a plan and that that they are taking the steps they can if they can even on their own take those steps. And so that was a that was our major concern, probably higher than any other, is how do we, if the medical baseline list is what PG&E is using, how do we contact other members of our community who might need to know about the power being out? And one of the ways we did it is um, we started reaching out through service providers in the community who deal with clients who might be vulnerable. And then once we would get a map from PG&E, we would run that against our six-pack and 10-pack care mm -hmm. homes, and we would send outreach workers, we'd only usually have 12 to 24 hours before the power is going out, to those care homes to make sure that those facilities were aware of the fact that the power was gonna be out, and if, the, if there was something we could do to help them or assist them, we would do that. So let's rewind a minute. So we had the Tubbs fire, which was huge, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
And then pretty much the year after that, we have we get the uh, what was it was it a year after? So, the, yeah, so so Tubbs was in 2017, and then you had <clears throat> Car, which everyone kind of forgets about, but Car was really big too. Oh yeah, and Campfire in 2018. Right. So so realistically, PG&E was was under the gun um, from Tubbs Fire, right? So we had both Tubbs and Nuns at the same time. Uh, I'm not sure that the Cal Fire report on Tubbs came back directly tying Tubbs, at least, to PG&E equipment. I believe it is electrical equipment, but it was on private property where the ignition source actually was. But but generally speaking, there were a ton of fires in the, the wine country firestorm in 2017, right. some of which PG&E has, according to, I think, Cal Fire's report, uh, been tied to. Same with the nuns, and then, yeah, paradise for sure. Right. And they keep pushing back on these, right? I mean, I, I know that they, you know, the, obviously they, they're they being found fault specifically for the Paradise Fire, and then they now they're claiming bankruptcy on, on that, and there's a whole other issues with this. But they don't seem to be a, a great partner in in emergency management. Am I, am I stretched on that one? or So – I'll leave aside the admitting to liability piece. That's for the lawyers on both sides to fight about. Um, right. As it relates to a program like PSPS, we found that when we first started hearing about this and we wanted to get the people on PG&E side of the table to come talk with us and help us understand and also discuss our concerns and how we could be partners and build a program together we did not get a very good reception from PG&E. It was kind of, why, does, why do emergency managers of public safety need to know that? We're, we're going to turn the power off. Big deal. It's mm-hmm. like, well, it's kind, of, it's kind of a really big deal. And yeah, we, we have not found to this point that PG&E is a good partner for emergency management in working together. And so it has unfortunately been a, a bit of a adversarial relationship. Now, I was talking to some, some people in emergency management uh, up in the Sonoma County area um, during during the CISA conference. We, we happened to be in, in Sonoma uh, for that uh, for that conference. And uh, one of them was talking about the fact that there's an NDA uh, specifically with PG&E, and then uh, right after those meetings that they have or not supposed to disclose anything, PG&E is giving information to their, uh, you know, to their political influencers and so the information is getting out um onto the newspapers without the emergency managers knowing it's coming out so they're having they're behind the eight ball when they're able to speak to the public why why do you think that is i mean is it is it done on purpose or is it done by leaking is it is pg&e trying to get in front i mean i'm just kind of confused about why they're not allowing you guys to be aware that they're putting presses out on on what they're doing when they're telling you guys not to talk to anybody about it so there's a couple issues there. Um, the ND, let's put the NDA aside for one second and talk about the timing of when PG&E, through its public relations arm or press arm, would put things out versus when it would tell emergency managers. And, and I don't think this was done purposely. I think PG&E is a very large company. I think that at times, again, they're not used to opening an EOC themselves and how to integrate a public information arm in that what we found at times was the information that was getting to their press people to release to the press sometimes got ahead of 
their EOC connecting up with us and mm. liaisons okay. and letting us know. So I don't think it was being done purposefully. We, we saw after that, there was only about two instances where something was released to the public before emergency managers knew. If anything, we, we saw the reverse a lot more, which was as emergency managers and government partners, we had more up-to-date information mm -hmm. than what the public had. And sometimes the public was confused because we're, we were saying on our social media as government, here's what's about to happen. But PG&E, at least their, their press arm, is several hours behind oh, gotcha. okay. in what they're putting out. The NDA, the non-disclosure agreement, was for two things. And, and it's no longer an issue, but it was at the time. The NDA w was doing two things. One, they wanted to sign an NDA so that we could know what critical facilities were gonna have no power. And our answer was, uh, why do we need to sign an, a non-disclosure agreement to know what facilities in our own jurisdiction are critical? We just need to know that they're gonna be out, guys. Um, and we had other ways of doing that ourselves that just kind of slowed us down. We'd get their map and run it against our list and come up with it, but it's much easier if PG&E just gives you the list, it saves you work. The other was for this medical baseline list. And I do understand a little bit around that, that that did have some HIPAA-type privacy information gotcha. around sense. individuals. What wound up happening, though, is in the middle of the first two PSPSs, one in late September and one in early October, given that we protested to the CPUC that, hey, you're really slowing us down here and getting our job done, PG&E, their regulator more or less said, no, you know what? They don't need to sign an NDA for these anymore. You need to just give them that information so that emergency managers of public safety can do their job. So we have moved past the NDA issue, but not for, not for want of trying, not because PG&E magnanimously decided to do it. It's because their regulator told them they had to. Right. Well, is that the way it always is, yeah. right? I mean, it's, it's the regulators uh, uh, coming in and, and, and making these things occur. So, yeah, I mean, like, so there's, I, I get it. And I understand, I mean, California, Southern California Edison isn't necessarily a rose in this bush, but, you, you know, I, I get the fact that they seem to work a little bit closer with emergency management. And I say closer, and I wish you guys could see me. It's like a little schmidgen closer, not not a, uh, you know, like a yardstick. It's more like a, a centimeter, maybe, you know. But at least they're trying. It seems to be. Um, I, I know I've spoken to a few people at Kello, yes, that uh, – aren't really happy with the way Southern California Edison uh, treats them as well. But that's a, that's seems to be a utility issue across the board. And I understand that they're in competition and there's all these other issues that are going on on the business side of things. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily give me a warm and fuzzy uh, uh, coming, you know, specifically as a person who, who lives in an area that can, can burn. Um, so that, that's, that's that. I, I don't want to say we're, I don't want to sit here and think everybody that we're picking on PG and E just because, uh, we're picking on them, but uh, it, it, it seems to be across the board. Like we said, we started off, you know, Southern California, or I'm sorry, San Diego uh, Gas Electric uh, have, has issues um, as well. And so it is what it is at this point. And I think we're trying hard as emergency managers to work through these issues. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the October fires and, and that timeline. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication even when networks are down, 
augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Welcome back from that quick break, and thank you for uh, listening to our sponsor. And please reach out to them and let them know that you heard them here uh, on, on EM Weekly, because without them, we couldn't bring uh, you the quality programming that we're bringing, and uh, we couldn't bring a Neil here uh, sitting in studios. It's awesome. So, Neil, before we went on break, kind of alluded to the fact that we have our, our 2000, or October 2019 timeline uh, of when it happened with the fires, and specifically the Kincaid fire, which got out of hand pretty quickly. Um, due to the winds and some other conditions. So I was up at Sonoma, like I told everybody before. We're up there having a great time, and uh, the fire kicks off. Um, so kind of walk us through that timeline for you. Start with the PSPS, number sure. two. Yeah. So PSPS, Public Safety Power Shutoff. Uh, in 2019, by the way, pg e has shut off the power six times. Right. Six times. Um, the first time was September 23rd, and then uh, leading up to uh, the Kincaid fire, pg e shut the power off again uh, on October 9th through 10th, so that was the second time. Uh, so then we opened our EOC. Uh, pg e will kind of give you a heads up based upon the weather uh, before a PSPS is happening, and they'll say, hey, we kind of think this is what the scope is right now, and they start running their weather models, and they do refine it before the, the final shutdown, but they gave us a heads up on October 22nd, hey, we're gonna be turning the power off again in, in the North Bay of California, and um, here's what it's looking at right now. So we opened our EOC nine o'clock on October 22nd. Um, as an aside, by the way, that day we also had a shooting right. at high school. It was, it, was, it was, October was a very busy month. PSPS, fire, and a shooting. Um, I was kind of looking around saying, is, is, this, is this really happening? <laughs> is this all happening at the same time? Boy, but at least my EOC was open to deal with it. Um, so we opened up and we do do, um, preparatory work. We get our GIS team in, whatever info PG&E gives us, um, they give us maps, but we'll run our own maps with our own layers to have a better understanding of what's happening. Um, we'll go reach out to care homes. Uh, we'll wait for PG&E after they have reached out to their medical baseline. They'll give us now what they call a, um, can I re- reach list? And so whoever they can't get a hold of, we still want to make an effort to reach. And so we'll go out and talk to them. Um, For us, the biggest piece we found after the first two is um, traffic signals. So in California, technically the law is if you come to a traffic signal and it's out, it's a four-way stop sign. What we found, especially there's a couple places where it's an exit off a highway coming to a major road. The first time, two times, we saw way more traffic accidents start to happen right away. People flying off that highway exit, flying right through the intersection, boom, T-bone accident after accident. Um, So what we decided to do from a public safety standpoint is we would identify which traffic signals were gonna be out and we went and put stop signs out. Mm. We would try and also light those up with uh, floodlights at night because you can't even tell the intersection's there. You know, it could be somewhere that you're normally used to driving Middle of the night or, you know, now everything's pitch black, you can fly through intersections that on a day-to-day basis, you know, you have that mental map of, of where an intersection is. You won't see it at all. So for us, a lot of the preparatory work is around identifying the intersections, identifying vulnerable populations, and trying to mitigate for those. And then also critical infrastructure. So we have our own water system. And so all the pump stations and lift stations or any critical facilities, we need to make sure that if they're going to be impacted, is the generator working? getting our fuel orders in, getting a refueling plan for all those, because we have to keep those going throughout the whole thing. 
And so this was our third time. Right. We got that all in place. And I was going to say, as far as the power out, just to let people know, kind of paint that picture, is Napa and, and the Santa Rosa areas, it, it is rural. It's not... It isn't, I mean, even though there are enclaves of some, like, city, um, it, it is definitely, once you get outside of the areas, it's dark. It is, it's dark up there. I mean, it's, there's, it's a country road. So just kind of paint it. It's not San Francisco, right? It's, it's, a, it's a country road. So when you talk about power going down and not being able to see intersections, you literally can't see the intersection. There are certainly urbanized areas, Santa Rosa, Petaluma, Rona Park, or cities. But, yeah, as soon as you get... A mile outside incorporated city, it is there. There, it's it's dairy farms and and grapevines. Right, <laughs> right. So so we so we um we were gearing up for yet another PSPS. Uh, right, you know, once they ran their last model, PG&E let us know that Santa Rosa was going to lose power to about seventeen thousand customers. Now, a customer is not a person. A customer is a meter. And a meter could be a household of one person, of four people, or a business. So the, the multiplier we use when they give us a customer is about times three to try and get a, a ballpark figure. So this one was going to be about 17,000 customers, which is, is pretty large. You know, time, 17 times three is 60,000-ish people in a city of 180,000. That's... That is not an ins- and and for Sonoma County, I think again it was um, it was going to be about a third of the county of five hundred thousand, so mm. almost two hundred thousand people were going to lose power in this one, and so they shut the power off. Um, they do it they do it a couple hours before the wind. It's all about wind, really. Before the wind, that's going to cause potentially an issue for their electricity, their electric line going getting blown down by the wind. They turn it off ahead of that, so. They shut the power off on Wednesday the 23rd at around 14.15, around uh, 2.15 that day. And we were kind of in our normal power gets turned off, do our thing, you know, kind of wait for other impacts type of situation. And um, the way it works a lot of times is the, the weather system in Northern California, they call it a sundowner. Right. So the wind really picks up right when the temperature drops. And so we were expecting sundowners that night. But a lot of times what you also see is in the valley where we are in incorporated cities, it's still. And the public's like, well, why are they turning the power off? There's, there's no wind. It's kind of out in those, in those hills at those higher peaks that the power goes out. Um, so fast forward, I actually went home that night. Um, we, had a, we had an overnight shift that was there more to, to monitor the PSPS. And remember, we're in a red flag, too, and, and with wind. So we were there. We're being told some, something's happening. Um, and, yeah, 9 o'clock that night, uh, about 9.24, uh, north of Santa Rosa in Geyserville, uh, the Kincaid fire ignited. Um, and my understanding, although we'll see what the final reports say, is that there was an area where pg had not de-energized a transmission line which is one of their bigger lines, or they had trouble with transmission equipment, and that it may have been the ignition source for this fire. Right. PG&E's at least filed a, um, an incident report saying something happened at the exact same time that the Kincaid fire started. It's you know, yet to be seen what the official cause will be determined to be. Um, and so for us, it was concerning, but, but it was outside of the city. You know, We're talking 20 miles or more away from us, but they did have to start doing 
uh, Cal Fire and Sonoma County had to start doing evacuations almost immediately. It was windy that night. Um, the fire did take off very quickly. And so that whole area around Geyserville there was evacuated that night. The next day, um, we saw wind. So we're on Thursday, the 24th now. We're in the middle of a PSPS. Um, it, it was it was kind of status quo. In fact, uh, the PSPS for that one went from Wednesday, October 23rd on the 25th. Um, they, they turned the power back on. And so that night we actually, um, we didn't have an overnight shift because the red flag was gone and, and kind of things seemed okay. But we knew there was another PSPS coming and another wind event coming. So I sent everyone home to be ready for Saturday. Mm. Saturday morning, um, I got a call from Sonoma County saying, hey, can we use your... Um, your community center is a shelter for Healdsburg and Windsor residents? I said, well, maybe, but, but why? What's wrong with Healdsburg and Windsor? And they said, well, we're evacuating both those cities. I said, you're what? You're, you know, they're not large cities. Um, I can't think of the population exact, but, but we're, we're only talking about 20,000 people and, and maybe 5,000 uh, between the two, but still, you know, an urban area that, that, that's pretty populated. And what it turned out is by then the, the type one Cal Fire team was in town. They had started running their fire models where the fire already was. And again, we had a new wind event mm -hmm. that was going to come. And, and let me back up for one second, generally talking about wind events. In, in the North Bay, our prevailing wind on just a nice normal day is from west to east. So the wind off the ocean pushes and, and there's some level of moisture and, and, and it's fine. What happens in September, October, November is you get what they call a wind event where the weather system starts coming from the other direction. So the winds are the north, northeast, and those are very dry, warm winds. And that's what continues to dry out the fuel. And, and that's what got us in October 2017 is you get an ignition source. And that's where the, the WUI, the Wildland Urban Interface is. And it starts pushing it towards us. And so that's what now the Kincaid fire, we already have an ignition source that exists. We're being told you already have a fire. And tomorrow you're going to have a wind event pushing that from north, northeast towards Windsor and Healdsburg. And so the Cal Fire team ran their, their models, and their models said, tonight when that wind changes from going west to east and starts coming north, northeast again, it's going to push in to Healdsburg and Windsor. And so the decision was made, let's get the population at 10 a.m., well before the wind comes, out of that area so that we can concentrate on fighting the fire and not as the fire, if it does come into town, is there and we're worried about helping evacuate people. Let's move everyone now. So it ends up being that we they evacuate 180,000 people. Yes. So so they that morning they evacuated those towns. But what wound up is is once they had those out of the way, the fire model said after it destroys parts of Windsor and Healdsburg, it's going to continue to burn west and south and potentially come into areas of Santa Rosa, potentially go into our West County, into Forestville, into Sebastopol, and burn south. And so, yeah, the, the decision was made um, that afternoon, on Saturday afternoon, 
to eva- and then actually into the to the next morning um, to evacuate 180,000 people. And and that that is that is very significant. That's a large evacuation. It is. You know, and and you know, thinking about where you're putting those people. I mean, you know, figure most gyms can hold what 200 people. <laughs> right, right. Well, well, to complicate it, remember we're in the middle now of another public safety power shutoff. Right, right. And so, a lot of the places that you would normally shelter people, the shelters don't have power. And so, if they don't have a backup generator, you you can't send people. I mean, I guess it's better than being in an area that that's evacuated for fire, but. Now you're sending people to a dark gymnasium, right? Right, and no water. And, and remember, so, right. so and also this one, it's not impacting just Sonoma County. It's impacting our neighbors, uh, Napa and Marin and County. Marin, right. And so Marin is is an area we back in 2017 we wound up sending a lot of people to shelter when we had to get them out of Santa Rosa and or just there was no and, more room in our shelters. Marin had no power at all. Right. Mar- 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 this, this, um, this particular PSPS that happened in the middle of the Cade fire affected over 2 million people in Northern California. Yeah. And, and Marin, <laughs> Marin had other issues regarding uh, communication because their cell towers started going down. Ours did too, 200, yes. 288 cell towers in Marin County went down. You know, yes. uh, 400 and something um, towers went down in uh, Santa Rosa. Or, or Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara uh, Sonoma County, um, and uh, it's crazy because the Cal, Cal OES states that eighty percent of all nine one one calls are now coming across cell phones. So yeah. communication is just was a huge issue specifically up in that area, um, and uh, that's a whole other story. But I just wanted to kind of point that out. We we have been trying to work with our cell phone, internet providers, uh, kind of knowing that these PSPSs were coming to, to get a better understanding of what their backup power, backup generation looked like and what their plans were if the power went out and they needed to go refuel those or, or recharge them, what that would look like. And, and they frankly haven't been a great partner either. Their, their answer kind of is, we have crisis teams we're going to take care of it and kind of gave us as emergency managers a little pat on the, on, the, on the head and said, don't worry, your pretty little head. We're going to take care of it, be on your way, and just, just don't ask us any more questions. And, and so, yeah, it was a concern, and the concern has played out to be just as, as scary as we thought it could be. A lot of cell phone towers down, no cell phone service, which creates another issue is if you have an event in the middle of one of these and you're using your wireless emergency alert and you want to use your telephonic emergency systems – how do you notify people if now cell phone towers or the majority of them are down? How do you call people or send out that WIA if the cell phone towers aren't working? We're working with, I want to say, one hand tied behind our back, both hands tied behind our back as emergency managers and public safety to warn people about a, an evacuation. Right. I got to plug mesh networking right now. That's the way to do it. Mesh networking, Titan HST. <laughs> okay. Awesome. All right. So now we're moving forward. Um, and I, we got to speed up just a little bit because we're getting you know, close on time here. At the end of the day, we come down to uh, on October 30th when the uh, evacuations are, are finally lifted. Um, we start to repopulate, but there's still issues associated with repopulation with some communications as well, right? Throughout the event, um, our ability, and I think we need to practice this more, our ability to work once a Type 1 team is in town between a Type 1 team, sheriff, and then local jurisdictions is not easy. There's just a lot of moving pieces 
and again, the more steps you have involved in any process like this, it becomes difficult. We did in the middle of, in the middle of the evacuations, we had one where the sheriff over in Nixle announced that a part of Santa Rosa called Oakmont was evacuated when in fact it wasn't. Right, so that right. caused chaos. And so, yeah, I, I'm sure there were other times like that on the other end when they were letting people back in that they by accident might've given misinformation, but it's, it's a very difficult process. And I think it's one we're getting better at in California, but we still need to work. Right. So what are the lessons that you learned specifically from, from this event? Don't have a fire in the middle of a PSPS. <laughs> It is easier to deal with one <laughs> at a time. So, so no more triple threat fire no, events, right? No, 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 no. Um, I, I think aside from the, the things that we worried about coming true, I think there's the unintended consequences, which are the economic impacts to your community just from a PSPS, whether there's a fire or not, when the power's out for multiple days. So now small businesses are closed. Um, there's no money coming in. They're also not whatever service they provide to your community isn't available. If you work for a business, small or large, it's closed. And unless you work for the government, you're probably not getting paid. Right. Um, remember, the power went out six times in 2019. Let's say you're a family that um, lives paycheck to paycheck or is just middle class. Every time that happens, you usually have to throw away everything in your refrigerator. What if I told you six times in more or less six weeks, you're going to have to throw out everything in your refrigerator and go buy it all again. Mm. That's an economic hit. Right. On top of now, you're not working and the small business that maybe you run is closed. So the impacts that we're seeing from that are, are, very, are very, very large. Um, we still want to work on how we reach out to our vulnerable populations. We're looking to figure out other ways to build lists to be better about that because that medical baseline list is just not the end-all, be-all of how to reach out to our community. That's, that's the biggest lesson learned. Some of the other pieces, like the traffic signals, we've gotten really good at that. Uh, it's become almost a standard procedure now. We know how to do it, and, and that's what we're trying to really do is limit the amount of time, because there's also the impact to the government, right? Every time we do this, we're standing up in EOC. We're not running regular business. Some of our offices are closed. We're, we're burning money on running an EOC that pg e right now, at least, is not reimbursing us right. for. Uh, don't know if they ever will, but we'll see. Um, kind of close the amount of time your EOC needs to be open. We certainly want to service our residents and the public. But the longer you have that open, the less regular government business you're doing and the more money you're burning as a government. And so keeping that window as short as possible is one of our other lessons learned. If you could say one thing to all the emergency managers in the world right now, what would it be? It can be as bad as you think it will be. I know that sometimes we're, we're made fun of for being paranoid and thinking the worst case scenario, but you can have a shooting, three, SP, three PSPSs, and a wildfire in one 10-day period. Um, and, and the other thing I'd say is um, you will be looked to as the leader. You need to remain calm. You need to give direction and have faith in your people. Uh, they will, if you lead, they will follow, but you need to, I'll be very frank, don't lose your shit. You need to lead and be the, the calm one at the front of it. If you have that demeanor, they will follow you and you'd be amazed at what other government workers who aren't trained to do this every day will step up and do. Neil, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of EM Weekly. And please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player. And also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you're looking for more information and more emergency management type podcast, check out sitchradio.com because there's a full laundry list over there. See you next week.